Man, great job, Kyle. How you guys doing? Those in the room, uh, some leaders and team up in here. Uh, online, how are you doing? Put what's up, Pastor Jay, in the chat. I don't know why no one ever calls me Pastor Jay. That was just so stupid. Oh, you call me Pastor Jay. That's why it popped in my head. Jet, my friend calls me Pastor Jay. But, you know, um, we're going to have a great day in, in church uh, right there, wherever you're watching from. And I'm super excited. I have this thumb thing on that I shouldn't have on. I'll just throw it away. But it came from golfing. I hurt my thumb. Uh, slamming my golf club into the ground when it's supposed to hit the ball and kind of hurt my thumb. So just keep me in your prayers. I'm believing God for healing. Um, it's just really important to me. So yeah. So anyway, what was I saying about that? But uh, yeah, I'm so excited you guys are engaging. And this week has been um, uh, just a reminder of how important that we build our life on the foundations of God's word. That's why we're in this series, Foundations. And I feel like... Um, uh, obviously, this week has been crazy in the sense that the the verdict for the officer that killed George Floyd came in, and I was watching all the stuff on Instagram, and one of the things that really stood out to me is there's this one particular comment that was like, okay, hey, I know that, you know, this person was found guilty, but I want to tell you, um, we're just beginning. Stay angry. Stay angry. And I'm like, man, uh, I understand the, the frustration and all of that, but if we're going to really fight for justice, if we're going to fight for anything, the, the, we can't build on anger. Uh, anger is a, uh, a volatile uh, foundation. We have to build on God's word. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't be angry, but I'm saying you can't build on anger. There has been no movement that has ever lasted that has been built on anger. The longest running movement in maybe the history of the world is the church. And it was built on God's word. There has been no movement that has lasted longer than that. I mean, even the Wu-Tang Clan, we just, that was a big movement when I was in high school. I thought the Wu-Tang Clan would be around forever. And when's the last time you heard a song from the Wu-Tang Clan? But the reality is, is that the church is the longest running movement there ever was. We didn't do everything right. We didn't get it right. There's been crazy times, judgmental times. But what I am saying is that it was simply built on the word of God. And yet it is a thousands and thousands of year old movement. And this movement that we're in society, we need to incorporate the word let it be the foundation of the movement. Any movement that is not built on God's word will come to ruin. There's this one passage of scripture in the book of Acts I think of a lot where um, obviously Peter and the apostles were doing a, a great thing, reaching people for Jesus. And, and this one, these religious leaders tried to stop them. And this one religious leader pulled all the religious leaders trying to stop them uh, from doing that. And he says, remember that guy that had that one movement and it was really big for a while. And then like he got killed and then his, all of his followers left. This is really, it literally says this. And then remember that other guy who had that other movement, but he was turned out to be a liar and nobody followed him either. He says, leave these people alone because if it's God, nothing will be able to stop it. And if it is, we will just find ourselves fighting against God. And I want you to get that in your heart and in your soul if it's God, nothing will be able to stop it. 
So my job as your leader or pastor, if you will, is definitely to hear all the amazing, you know, heartfelt messages of frustration and anger and meet you in that. But, but I told somebody this this last week. Our, our church has to be uh, the safest place to be where you're at and the most dangerous place to stay that way. It's got to be the safest place to be where you're at, but the most dangerous place to stay that way. Jesus loves you. He'll meet you where you're at, but he won't leave you there. He'll lead you out of it. And here's the thing. Um, I have different things that I believe God's word reveals to me about times like this. And so many times as a leader, we want to analyze what people are saying and, and see whether we agree. But I want to challenge you with something as I, you know, preach God's word today and maybe deposit some things in your spirit that your spirit wants to hear, but maybe your soul wants to hear anger and frustration. I want to challenge you with this. Be careful that you don't overanalyze what I say and underanalyze the green pastures and the still waters that are in your life. A shepherd's job Psalm 23 says, is to lead you to still waters and green pastures. If you're in still waters, if we're in still waters, meaning our soul is still before the Lord and our pastures are green, meaning that we are walking in blessing because of our obedience to God, then your pastor's done a good job even if you don't like his sermon. Amen? Well, it's like, it's the tough stuff, man. It's tough stuff. This is my vintage stuff. So that's my job. I'm accountable to God for the place I lead you. And I'm also accountable to God for the places I leave you in. And I refuse to leave people in places that God does not want them to be. And so that is my job. And so I don't know everything. I'm not perfect. But it is my heart that we see all that God has for us. And that's what this foundation series is about. Uh, I want you to turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. And if you want more information on what my thoughts were about this week, you know, check out the video I posted on Instagram. It's been up all week and you might have already seen it. But if you haven't, check it out. It'll give more clarity to what I feel like God is saying to us as a church. But Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27, in this series of foundations, it says this. I'm going to read from the message version because it's pretty intense. And I think you're going to enjoy it. It says, this is Jesus talking through the Message Bible. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. Now, whenever you see a rock in scripture, it means Jesus. It was fixed, fastened to the rock. So no matter what happened to the house, the house was indestructible because of the foundation that was the rock, Jesus Christ. And a lot of times when we think of Jesus, we don't think of scripture. We think of love. And Jesus did walk around and he loved people and he healed people. But the Bible says that Jesus was the word made flesh. So Jesus was the walking and talking word of God. Therefore, Jesus is not just love. God is love, but God is also the word. And without the word, you cannot have love. 
because we start to define what that means to us. And it says, if you build your life on this, what you are building will be sustained. This is so important because I believe there's been times in my life where the enemy has watched me build something really awesome and he let me build it because he knew it was on a bad foundation. And then he brought storms and stuff in my life because he, he had the pleasure in tearing down what he knew wasn't built on God's word. It says, when a storm rolled in, it says, but if you use my words, watch this, it was fixed to the rock, but if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, this is this language, you're a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When the storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. I remember one time I went to the beach with my kids and I watched my daughter build a sandcastle like right next to the shoreline. And she was shocked when the waves knocked it down, just absolutely perplexed. And I realized she built it there thinking that all of that hard work that she put in it would remain. And one wave destroyed hours and hours and hours of work. And I want to tell you as a church, we prophesy, we want to speak life over you. The blessings are coming. Yes, uh, favor and blessings are coming into your life, but so are the waves. And the waves are designed to destroy all blessings that are not built on the word of God. Do you know 70-something percent of people would identify as a Christian, but way less than half of that would be able to actually recite more than 10 scriptures? And so this is important because for me, I know your gift will build blessing in your life, but your wisdom, how you apply God's word to your life will help you keep it. My gifts have given me so many things. I've lost all of it. Like, I mean, prior to like walking according to the word, I was blessed. I just couldn't keep anything. My life was like a funnel. Money went in, money went out. Depending on where, well, it's kind of like that now. If it wasn't for my wife, I would be broke. She's the one uh, that keeps us on a budget. But I want to talk to you today. We talked the last couple of weeks of uh, salvation, but today... Uh, our foundational word today is wisdom. So I'm going to preach a message to you called wisdom. I wanted to name it wise guys, like a mobster movie. But then I was like, oh, then that leaves the girls out. So I could call it wise guys and girls, but that's lame. So it's just wisdom. Uh, so here you go. We, we need wisdom. Anybody want some wisdom? Anybody want some wisdom? Come on. No, you don't. You want some money. Yeah, you want money, right? When's the last time you said, man, I just really need some wisdom? We don't say that. I just really need a spa day. I just really need this. We need wisdom. If we had wisdom, the wisdom of God, life would be changed forever. We need wisdom. And let me tell you what wisdom is. It's a, just so you understand, a lot of people think it's applied knowledge, but I wouldn't agree because you can get knowledge about doing something stupid and apply it to your life, and that doesn't make it wisdom. I'm going to give you a couple of perspectives of wisdom that I believe are true. Wisdom, number one, is the capacity to understand life from God's perspective. Wisdom is spiritual eyes. You can see what God wants you to see. That's why the Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith gives us God's perspective. And if you have God's perspective, then you can actually walk in 
wisdom. Wisdom is the capacity to understand life from God's perspective. Another definition of wisdom is biblical wisdom. Watch this, is the supernatural application of supernatural information. It is being able to allow the Holy Spirit to work inside of you to help you do what the Holy Spirit told you. It is not common sense. Matter of fact, somebody out there, I know you have wisdom because stupid people really make you mad. Are you ever like, wisdom people think everyone should know what they know. So sometimes you have wisdom or revelation about relationships and you might tell your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend, you should know. If you love me, you would know what I like. No, 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 that's not true. Somebody could deeply love you and just be really stupid. I know I was that way when I met Christina. I loved her so much, I was just dumb. And sometimes it's like, well, if you love me, you should know. No, love and wisdom are not the same thing. Love is given by God. Wisdom is sought out from a believer, from God. If you are not seeking wisdom, you'll never have it. So here's the thing, you know, if we're not careful, we could actually raise, a, you know, a house full of destructive people by saying, God pursues you and God loves you because here's the thing, wisdom must be pursued. God chases you and you chase after wisdom. I got to know how God wants me to do this thing. You know, Moses is said, it said this about Moses, that the Israelites knew God's works. Moses knew his ways. The Israelites knew everything that God had done for them, but Moses knew everything about God. He had the wisdom of God operating in his life. And, and when we build our lives on wisdom, the supernatural revelation from God's word and the supernatural application that the Holy Spirit helps us do it, wisdom will build a house. Matter of fact, Proverbs 24 verses three through six says, a house is built by wisdom and becomes strong through good sense. When is the last time you asked somebody, so what are you believing for in 2021? And they went, wisdom, wisdom. I was thinking about this today. I'm like, I don't want to preach on wisdom. Wisdom is boring. I want to preach on blessing, favor. Matter of fact, breakthrough. We love that word. Put it in the chat, breakthrough. Nobody wants to preach on wisdom. You have a teenager. Nobody wants to talk about wisdom. Wisdom is boring. Wisdom sounds like books, but wisdom is the building blocks for blessing and favor. If God could get a handful of people with wisdom, you know what he could give you? Matter of fact, every good parent withholds good things from kids who don't have wisdom. I could give my daughter Bailey a car right now and that makes me an idiot. She's eight. But as soon as she shows wisdom and responsibility, the car is a blessing. Nothing's changed about the car. It's a death trap for her at eight years old, a blessing at 16. What's the difference? The car has not changed. The wisdom changed. And now what was a death trap becomes a blessing over wisdom. Some of you are praying prayers that will kill you because you don't have the wisdom. I'm telling you. I need some wisdom. And here's the thing, you don't, like, the reason why I'm telling you this right now is God, if you are blessed, if you are blessed, if you are truly living out the life that God has called you to live, hear me, 
That means that God is giving you things that you are too stupid to handle. Can I just say that up front? I'm too stupid to pastor a church. I need wisdom. Why would God give me something that I could do? He gives me something that he can do through me. I need his wisdom. And so what happens when we know that God's given us a relationship or God's giving us a calling, we let our insecurities kick in, but God designed purpose to reveal that you need him. And the enemy wants to say, you're not good enough. And then we have memes that say, you're enough. No, we're not. He's enough. So he gives us these lofty, insane dreams to give us the reality that without God, there's no way it's possible. I was, uh, I have a therapist. He's pretty good, actually. He doesn't say much. But when he says something, it's like amazing. Like, I feel like I'm the one that should be getting paid after the end of the therapy session because I did all the talking. But I was complaining about my life as you do to therapists and, um, I don't want to hear anything you had to say. I just like, man, this is just so hard. Just being a leader and just everything is just so hard. And this wasn't the original thing I wanted for my life. And he said something I'll never forget. He goes, well, you know, if there is no God, you have the wrong job. And I said, what did you just say to me? He said, I said, if there is no job, God, there is no God, you have the wrong job. If there is no God, you have the wrong life. Everything is wrong without God because God gave it to you so he could partner with you to achieve it. And the enemy says, you're not good enough. And here's the thing I have learned in my short time of my life following Jesus. It is absolutely true. The Bible says he's the father of lies. The enemy will absolutely tell you a lie. He will try to deceive you and he will try to manipulate you. But in my life, I have found that the worst attacks of the enemy are when he tells me the truth. But it's a truth that's not supposed to matter because God. So the enemy could tell you you're not good enough and you can't overcome it because it's true. You're a singer and you don't sing good enough and you listen to Whitney Houston and the enemy says you're not as good as Whitney Houston. He's not lying to you. You can't sing like Whitney Houston, but God is going to bless you and give you his favor because you're his daughter, you're his son. He's going to do it anyway. The enemy's telling you the truth, but he's telling you a truth that was never meant to matter. We live in this country and things are happening to black people and things are happening to people of color and things are happening to white people. But this overrides that truth. Is it true? Yes. But the Bible says if I meditate on the wisdom of God, the word of the Lord, that I will be successful in all that I do. So the wisdom of the scriptures overcomes any oppression. Matter of fact, Let me just preach to somebody right now that equality is a social construct. It's not a kingdom one. Equality, you have never seen in scripture, God say, you know what? I'm tired of you being mistreated. So I'm going to give you equal to what the person that mistreated you has. Equality is a social construct. You know what is a kingdom construct? Exaltation. You know how God works? The person who tried to oppress you, he puts them in the position that they tried to keep you in and puts you in the position they were protecting and then he expects you to be a blessing to your enemies. Oh my God. That's not wisdom. That's stupid. 
You want me to bless the person who hated on me? Oh my God. Jesus' final miracle was healing us, healing a soldier who was there to arrest him. And the reason why he had to heal him is because Peter slashed off his ear. How in God's name is it wisdom that the soldier didn't lose his ear and Peter didn't lose his job? But Jesus lost his life. This is the divine wisdom of heaven. It doesn't make sense to humans. It's just God. It's just God. And this is the type of wisdom that we need. This wisdom from heaven will fight against everything that I want to believe. Wisdom creates a warfare with your current thinking. That's what wisdom does. It declares war on whatever you think right now. The wisdom of heaven does. And I hate this. I, I, it's not fun. It's not fun. God, God will correct me and give me wisdom. We have some of the best leaders in the best church, and I need wisdom to lead the people. We are in a battle, and we need wisdom. There's so many, like, books and, and discipleship stuff that have to do with warriors and warrior this. And didn't it sound cool to be a warrior? I want to be a warrior. David was a warrior. Nobody wants to be wise. Nobody wants to be your old grandpa that just is always telling people smart stuff. We want to be a warrior. We want to be a tough. We have a tough guy complex in the church. We want to go to war. We want to fight for things. We don't want to have a, a, a school of thought that will change a nation. We want to have a, a movement that feels aggressive. Like, this is what's wrong with society. It just, can I just rant for a second? We used to be able to smile when we danced. Remember that? That girl is poison. That's how I used to dance. And have you, what's the last time you seen someone smile when they dance? Now you're just like, just two-stepping. The world's so depressing. We changed all the rules. We need wisdom. I'm telling you, we need wisdom. This is so important. We want to be tough. We want to go to war. I want to read you this passage of scripture that will blow your mind. First Chronicles 12, 31 through 32. This is about David's mighty army. And it says of the half tribe of Manasseh, 18,000 warriors who expressly named to come and make David king. 18,000 warriors. But of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times, that word is translated wisdom to know what Israel ought to do. 200 chiefs and all their kinsmen. Wise family leaders went to war with 18,000 warriors. So David, blessed by God, he's a man after God's own heart. Not only did he have warriors with him, he had people with some wisdom. People who knew what to do. How many of us don't know what to do? Raise your hand. I don't know what to do. How many of us honestly are in a situation where we just need wisdom, but we think we're supposed to know so we don't ask? And we think that God has put us in the position because we're supposed to know. You put me in it, right? You made me a mom, so I'm supposed to know. No, I put you in something that you are too crazy, silly, foolish to do so I could reveal myself when you do it anyway. Uh, we used to work out as a family, and I say used to because Dallas has just got this thing where he doesn't want to go anymore. And I get it. He doesn't want to run hills, whatever. And so he hasn't been in a month, and I'm furious because I'm like, we're going to work out. 
And he's like, I'm not going. Hey, I'm your father. I tell you what to do. Get in the car. I'm not getting in the car. You can't make me get in the car. I'm not getting in the car. And if I try to make him get in the car, he screams for help and makes our neighbors think he's like, somebody help me. I'm trying to get him in the car. He's yelling, somebody help me. And he's holding on to the banister and I want to spank him because it's making him worse. But I, like our neighbors, like I just, spanking didn't feel like a solution, but my son is yelling, somebody help me. And I'm his dad. Somebody help me. Somebody help me. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, my son is so hard to raise. He's a genius, but he's so difficult. And he's crying and he's screaming, somebody help me. He won't go over there because he's afraid, because my friends have a huge backyard. He heard one coyote howl, and now he's convinced that a coyote's going to eat him, and he won't go anywhere near it. And so I'm trying to force him to go, and it just wasn't working. He's screaming, somebody help me. So he's bawling his eyeballs out. I'm feeling like a terrible dad. So I just gave him a hug, and I said, let's pray. And I went, true story, Jesus, I don't know what to do. I miss working out with my son. I didn't need some wisdom. And Dallas said, I don't know what to do either, Jesus. This is a true story. He's crying. You have to help us. I don't. You know when you do that when you do live? He's like, I don't know what to do. And that was it. I have no idea how to father my son through this. We go downstairs. I'm giving my son a haircut for the first day of school. Um, he wants his hair to look exactly like Michael Jackson from the Off the Wall album. So I showed him a picture of young Michael and told him I was going to cut his hair like that. That was a little shorter. So I talked him to do it. He says, can I watch the show while we are, um, while you're cutting my hair? And I said, sure. He turns on VeggieTales randomly. I'm cutting his hair. And the dad, dad vegetable, if you will, I can't make this up. You're going to think I'm making this up. It was like a dad tomato with a mustache. (laughs) This is so bizarre. All right, kids. It is time to overcome our fears. We are not afraid of anything. Got it? And he's being real aggressive. And the kids are like, got it. And he's like, you're not afraid of anything? And And the little cucumber was like, I'm not afraid of anything except, no, you're not afraid of anything. You hear me? In this family, we are not afraid. And the whole episode goes on, and the kids go to the father figure and go, ah, we're really afraid. And at the end of this show, the father apologizes to the kid and says, I'm sorry I didn't understand you were afraid. I didn't hear and listen to your fears And I was trying to convince you to not be afraid instead of understanding why you were. And the kid said, we're going to try to overcome our fears. Dallas, in terms of me, half of his head cocked to the side because half of him said, Dad, this show is exactly what just happened to me and you. Do you think this is God answering our prayers? And I said, yes, son, I want to apologize for not listening to your fears. And he says, I want to apologize for not trying to overcome them. And 24 hours later, my son was at the workout. Do you understand what I just said to you? In a moment of weakness, I'm so confident that I'm a father and you know me, I always know what to say. 
I wasn't frustrated with my son. I was frustrated with me. And in a moment where I asked God for wisdom, I believe the Lord had my son turn on the right show. And now my son knows how to pray for wisdom. And so what I'm telling you is, is this works. We have to have a church that is willing to humble themselves and ask God for wisdom. A.R. Bernard said this, some people know God just enough to be mad at him. And wisdom helps you know God enough to be in awe of him. This is so important that we humble ourselves and say, God, I need help. Wisdom helps you do three things that I want to be really clear about. And then we're going to talk about how to get wisdom. Wisdom, and these are going to be some big words that I'll explain, but wisdom helps you be prophetically reflective. That means it helps you correctly process what happened. You know, you, many of us have childhoods or business deals that went bad or things that we have to look back on. And, and wisdom helps you look back on something and gain knowledge from even your mistakes and your failures. And so technically, it's nearly impossible for the Christian who is seeking wisdom to have a failure that impacts them negatively at all. Because they can use that negative thing and get wisdom from it. And the wisdom will bless them in the future. And so then they'll be grateful that they went through the hard thing because it's going through the hard thing that gave them the wisdom to obtain the good thing. And so wisdom helps you be prophetically reflective. As I was reflecting on this last week and the injustices in our nation and seeing across my feed, we want justice for George Floyd. We want justice for George Floyd. When I reflected on it, I feel like the Lord gave me wisdom that what we experienced this week was not justice. It was judgment. Judgment in the Greek means verdict. So when a verdict comes, that's judgment. Justice is what something you do whenever we're in the community and we're serving and you're giving. When we were doing unprecedented generosity and we gave $20,000 to marginalized children who did not have electronics, they didn't have a computer to jump on Zoom. And, and we're complaining that our kids are on Zoom and some neighborhoods don't even have computers to get on the Zoom. And we gave them $20,000 worth of computers. Church, that was justice. Justice is an action. It's doing something about what you see, bringing justice to a situation. And so before I would reflect with anger and I would come up with an outcome that is impossible for a black man to achieve anything in America. But when I looked at that situation with wisdom, I realized that my pastor, Pastor Philip, if you haven't seen him, he's white. And if you haven't seen me, I'm black. If you're listening to the audio podcast, I'm black. I got my church from a white man. Not any white man. A white man that grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas. A white man who, when they were desegregating schools, had family members and church members in his childhood church protesting Ruby Bridge is going into the school with the rest of the white kids, and he was there. Little boy, watching hatred and racism in Little Rock, Arkansas in the 60s. And that same little boy, as I reflect prophetically, 
grew up to bypass all the hatred he saw and give his church to an African-American man. I'm prophetically reflecting with wisdom, and because I can do that, then God is saying, just like that little boy in the 60s when nobody thought that could happen, there's a little boy watching the news right now that will do the exact opposite of what they're seeing on the news. And that is wisdom. Prophetically reflecting, even on negative things. Another thing wisdom does is it helps you be not just prophetically reflective, but prophetically insightful. And prophetically insightful means you correctly process what's happening now. This is the hardest one because now you got to have wisdom in real time. They say hindsight is 2020, insight is blind as a bat. Because you're in so much pain, you can't see. Literally, when we turn on the news and watch all the negativity on the news in the spiritual realm, you just got maced. You will not be able to see for a length of time. And you have to have the living water of Jesus to wipe out your eyes and see the insight of what God wants you to see. And this one is difficult because you need it now. The, 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 it's, it's the, the prophetic insight is what God would want to tell you and what you would do is synchronized. Prophetic insight comes with identity. When we talk about identity, I know someone's walking in their identity when they don't need a word. They have an insight. Their actions and what God would say is synchronized. The Bible says my sons and daughters will prophesy. The word son is one who has taken on the nature of their father. What that means is they naturally do what God used to have to supernaturally tell them. Sons and daughters have wisdom. It's in their nature. No one has to tell them to forgive. They forgive. No one has to tell them to give. They just do. Matter of fact, sons and daughters can get bored in church because the Holy Spirit is already telling them what the preacher is saying because they have their own relationship with God. Now they're here to amen and put in themselves an agreement because they understand the power of agreement. This is no joke. I'm telling you, when you have wisdom, you can be, look at insight and it doesn't have to happen 10 years ago for you to get some wisdom. You can have insight, prophetic insight in a moment. That's wisdom. It's the hardest one is insight. But wisdom also helps you be prophetically predictive. Correctly process your hope for the future. So many people, it's like, this week they haven't, yeah, this is, we got the conviction, but this doesn't mean anything. We just, it's just a, just one. And I get your pain. That's not what Martin Luther King said. He said, God took me up on a mountaintop. And I looked over. And he showed me the promised land. I'm not fearing any man. For my eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. His last public statement was not in racism. His last public statement was the key to ending racism, that your eyes have seen the glory 
of the coming of the Lord. Martin Luther King was trying to make America better for the second coming of Christ. Yeah, he was frustrated. Yeah, he was angry. But he was motivated to do what he was doing based off what he had seen. The glory of the Lord. Glory in the Bible is the goodness of God. Which means as they're blowing up churches in the 60s and sicking dogs on people and putting fire hoses on people, he saw that, but he saw the glory of the Lord. I, I, I think I can never, somebody asked me this week, what is the most impactful thing God has ever shown you in scripture? And I said, it, it's got to be the, the woman uh, caught in adultery and Stephen. The woman caught in adultery, the religious leaders came with stones and they were going to stone her. And Jesus stooped down with his finger in the dirt and she saw Jesus but there's pretty much only one other popular passage of scripture on a stoning, and that's in Acts chapter 7, where Stephen had never even committed adultery. The Bible says he was filled with wisdom and with the Holy Spirit. If you read Acts chapter 7, they were having a problem with who was serving the, the widows and the orphans, and they said, find someone filled with the Holy Spirit and with wisdom. Go find to work the food pantry. Go get someone filled with the Holy Spirit and with wisdom. And I think about that passage of scripture all the time with Stephen because why would they need someone filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with wisdom? Why would God direct them to do that? Because it wasn't about the food. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and he's filled with wisdom. Now we know the woman caught in adultery was not filled with the Holy Spirit. She definitely was not filled with wisdom because she was laid up, you know, tripping with somebody. But Stephen was. Go get him. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's filled with wisdom. And the Bible says that they started to stone him. First rock hit his head. If that was me, I'd be like, am I bleeding? Am I bleeding? Like, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm like, I just would be, I would not be a real Christian. I would fight back. And I always thought that Stephen filled with wisdom, filled with the Holy Spirit, should have said, hey, guys, we all know how this is going to play out. Remember? Women caught in adultery. Jesus is going to show up. I'm going to see him. Stoop down and write his finger in the dirt and rescue me. I mean, he did it for the woman in adultery. I'm a man filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with wisdom. Surely he's going to do it to me. He's probably telling all his buddies, don't, don't worry. As blood is trickling down his face, any moment now, any moment now, Jesus is going to come through. And the Bible says that Jesus did not come through. And Stephen died that day. I think the conversation in heaven would have been interesting. Hey, Jesus, not on his head. Can I ask you a question? Why did you rescue that woman and not me? Here's the difference between someone with wisdom and someone without wisdom. Someone without wisdom can only see Jesus if he shows up to get him out of what they, but somebody with wisdom can see Jesus in the middle of the stoning. Read Acts chapter seven. He was getting stoned 
And the Bible said his face shone like the sun. And he said, I see Jesus. Wisdom helps you see Jesus in your stoning. And if you don't have wisdom, you can only see Jesus if he stops the stoning. Hardest thing about living a life with wisdom is sometimes Jesus doesn't stop the stoning. But that stoning of Stephen launched a wildfire in the church and the church blew up after Stephen got stoned. And you know, in Acts chapter seven, who was watching Stephen lived out his life with that kind of wisdom, a man by the name of Saul. And Saul would later become Paul. And Stephen's last words were identical to Christ. See, only two times this has been said in the Bible were Jesus and Stephen. Father, forgive them. Don't hold this charge against them. I want you to understand, Jesus, oh my God, this makes me want to cry. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. But the Bible says Stephen saw Jesus standing. That makes me feel like Jesus was getting ready to do something. Oh, no, 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 not my boy, Stephen. Rocks is busting Stephen upside the head. He sees Jesus standing. He says, oh, shoot, y'all done made him mad now. He's seated. You made Jesus get up out of his seat. And what if it was that moment where he said, nah, pops, I'm good. Don't hold this against him. I know how you get out. I know what you're, he had enough Holy Spirit to say, I'll take an L. See, we want wisdom for the win, but sometimes wisdom is for the L. Oh my God. Oh my God. Wisdom will help you take the L. How many parents have taken the L for their kids? How many pastors have taken the L for their church? How many people have taken the L for their families? We want wisdom for the win, but sometimes wisdom is for the L. To help you process and have hope for the future. Prophetically process your future. Wisdom helps you take the L and not lose hope. This is mind-blowingly difficult, but it is the truth. And if this is something that you would ask God for, God will change your life. Once again, I have 80,000 scriptures left over. <laughs> Looks like we're going to have to do a part two. But I want to leave you with this. Uh, I want to leave you with this. That. This final thought. I know you have the faith. But I want you to ask wisdom from people who have the fruit. Because the most dangerous, self-destructive person that I've ever met being a pastor is somebody with wild faith and low wisdom. You, and by the way, they can sometimes be enemies, faith and wisdom. Because the really wise people sometimes have no faith. And the wise people are like, oh my God, you faith people drive me nuts. You have no plan, no budget, no nothing. And then the faith people, the wisdom people drive them nuts. 
Like, I'm just trying to believe, and you shoved the budget in my face. <laughs> and we need both. Sometimes your wisdom prevents you from having faith. Faith is that you step into the unknown with all the confidence as if you had all the wisdom. That's, that's, that's what faith is. I have the same confidence when I step into the unknown as my wisdom gives me. And wisdom has to be restrained because sometimes when we think that we know, we don't ask God because when God tells you something, it comes with the faith. Your wisdom will never get it done alone. It's both faith and wisdom working together. And my prayer for Oasis Church is simply this. If we could be a church with great faith and great wisdom, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with wisdom, then even the L's will be victories. I'm going to say that again. Filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with the wisdom, even the L's, the law. If we don't know, what's an L? I'm sorry, I'm speaking a little bit in urban terms here. An L is short for a loss. Oh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for, fill- thanks for filling me in. You can't be using that San Bernardino talk, Pastor Julian. You can't be that. I should have named this message Take the L. So embarrassing. It's just called wisdom. It happens every single sermon. But some of y'all are taking L's. And the wisdom that you get from the L is a bigger blessing to you than the win you were praying for. Oh, I feel like praying. Father, I thank you right now that you're giving somebody wisdom from the L, the loss that they're taking in this season. And this wisdom that they are gaining from the L that we have taken in in racism, from the L that we have taken in this nation, from the L that we have taken in our finances, from the loss that we've literally taken in family members, the loss that we are experiencing will give us a wisdom that was worth more than the win. And this is my prayer for you. This is not about winning. This is about wisdom. And wisdom is better than the win, even if you get it in a loss. So, Father, we're praying right now. We, we need your wisdom. When we feel like we're losing, we'll take the L, but give us your wisdom. You can keep the win. We want the wisdom, even in the loss. We want it. We need it. We're asking for it. In Jesus' name, amen.